Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome in to the New Orleans Pelicans podcast, the official podcast of your New Orleans Pelicans. A podcast dedicated to everything you need to know about the squad. Hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and those who cover the NBA on a daily basis. It's time to flock up. The New Orleans Pelicans podcast starts right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. I'm Gus Catgill, and I'll be joined by the man, the myth, the legend himself. Anything else I need to add to that before I welcome you in? No, that's plenty. That's it? That's plenty. Jim Eichenhofer, everybody, from NewOrleansPelicans.com. We got a lot to chat about today, even though it's not a game day. Very weird to have a Monday, not a game day. Pelicans play tomorrow. They did play back on Friday. We'll discuss that a little bit. Also coming up in our second segment, going to like this. Jim sits down with Jordan Hawkins and does a little one-on-one and gets to know the rookie a little bit better. And I think you'll appreciate that. Anything you want to tease about it, that? No, just uh, it was fun talking to Jordan. And uh, one of the things I got into him with him was uh, the his career-high 34-point game was after the team arrived at the hotel at 4.30. He said he got to sleep at 7 a.m. and Woke up at 1 p.m., so <laughs> I kind of suggested to him, you know, maybe this is the routine yeah. that you should have on game days. Yeah. You know, go to sleep at 7 a.m., wake up at 1 o'clock, and be ready to score 34 points career high that night. I legitimately don't know, because I just turned 48 last week, if I could stay up till 7 anymore. I definitely couldn't. I know no. in some nights, like when we do road games and, you know, mm-hmm. the West Coast, like I'll get home at 12, 1 o'clock, and I need to, you know, unwind a bit, like maybe 2 but seven is a really long time. I don't know if I could stay uh, on purpose. On purpose. You know, now that you mention yeah. it, when I was regularly traveling with the team, I did stay up till I was able to stay up till three, four yeah. a.m. all the time. Seven though, because I had yeah. to. A lot of times, I just couldn't sleep on the plane or whatever it was. But yeah, seven is a little out of control. Well, so why don't we do I, that? I I Go upstairs, that. present that to management. You and I will do like a sit-in or hangout or something here one day and <laughs> see if we can stay up to seven o'clock. Uh, Sounds you, like a terrible. You idea. can do that, Gus. I'll uh, I'll, re- let me I'll root you on. I'll wake okay. up the next day and and see if you how you did. Sounds good. We'll preview, of course, tomorrow night's game against Utah in our third segment, and then also Jim will give you the players to watch. All right, let's get into it and start off the week by going back at the end of last week. I was excited to see how the Pels matched up because we hadn't seen Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, this Phoenix Suns team. I know all of that almost rivalry-like game. Well, they had different coaches. They had different players. You had Chris Paul. You had Monty. You had all that. That is not this team at all. And they had been playing really good basketball. And as a matter of fact, they won another game since mm-hmm. we last saw them as well. Right. So. They are on a hot streak and getting closer to Minnesota and OKC, which I have a thought on that here coming up a little bit about the Thunder, who beat the T-Wolves again so far this season in battles one and two in the standings. But 123-109, and Jim, that score actually seems closer than what that game was sort of like. Overall thoughts on that, and it's going to lead into the two discussions that we're going to get into in this opening segment, specifically why the Pels again lost a game against a team that, I don't know, I, I was curious to see how they matched up. Kind of a measuring stick game. Right, and yeah. immediately right now I'm going, they don't. But but mm-hmm. you you want to dive in specifically as to why. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because 
after that game, when I looked at the Pelicans' three-point shooting where they struggled so much and shot such a low percentage, I was kind of thinking, as much as we talk about throughout the season, all these different aspects of every game, rebounding, defense, you know, you name it, fast breaks, turnovers, how much of when teams have bad losses like that where they get beat by a good amount has been just almost purely, not entirely, but a big part of it is the three-point shooting. So I looked up Pelicans when they shoot what I consider to be very poor three-point shooting just for the sake of the argument is anything under 33.3%. So if you if you make less than a third of your three-point attempts, and I looked up the Pelicans are 4-12 and 12 when they do that. They're 21-6 and six when they make at least one-third of their three-point attempts. And the interesting thing, too, about that 4-12 and 12 number is that includes the loss in Las Vegas, which I'm sure people probably aren't surprised by, the blowout loss to Golden State at the very beginning of the season, uh, both losses in Utah, both losses to Houston, as well as the Memphis loss by one point. So you're talking, if you went back through and said, what are the games where you went into it hoping that they would play well and hoping that they'd have a great night and they had kind of a clunker performance, mm-hmm. you know, especially obviously the Las Vegas one. But it is it is interesting that almost every single time it's because it's at least partly because they had a really poor three point shooting game. So um, I thought that was interesting. Just the fact that a lot of times you can, you know, people use the term it's a make or miss league. Yeah. A lot of times you can just narrow it down to just that. And I, I was curious, too, to see if that was true for other teams or if it was just a fluky type thing with the Pelicans. And I looked at the three other teams that have almost exactly the same record as the Pelicans. These are all teams that have 18 losses and are in the Western Conference. Dallas is 3-8 and eight when they shoot below 33.3%. Sacramento's 3-9. and nine. Phoenix is 4-8. and eight. So if you add up those numbers, if you add those numbers plus the Pelicans when they shoot under 33.3, those teams are 14-37. and 37. And then in the game, which is 27.5% winning percentage, in the games where they shoot above that, those four teams are combined 82 and 35, which is 70.1%. So, I mean, it is interesting if you think about it. The more teams rely on the three-point line and three-point shot, the offenses are going way up. But it also, to me, is a much bigger barometer than it ever has been, which makes sense. If you're, if a team takes 80 shots and they only average maybe 10 threes a game, 15 three-point attempts a game, it's not going to affect drastically from night to night how they perform Mm -hmm. but when you start taking 35 40 three-pointers a game and you have these nights that are just outlier terrible shooting nights it's it's so difficult to overcome that and and I think we've seen that a lot with the Pelicans that and I I say this to myself too that sometimes I need to take a step back and realize that you know you might say like oh they they didn't play well they didn't bring it tonight but a lot of times it is the it's the three-point shooting that was the the what it comes down to you and I have talked about this, and, and like, and, and it's interesting because I do think, and I don't mean this of in a negative way, but like, I'll, I use my dad as an example, right? The fan of yesteryear that grew up with the get it inside and bang, mm-hmm. and it was one or two players that shot that three. And I keep trying to express this to a lot of different people, even on my show. I'm like, that is not today's game, not in college, mm-hmm. and especially not in the NBA. Um, you would have never, right, 15, 20 years ago had coaches been okay with 45 threes and you right. make eight or mm-hmm. 12, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, you were hoping for 12 to 15 makes. But that that's where we are now. Jack them up. Hopefully, if you make 12 or 15, you just brought up some statistics. You could have a better chance to win or not. When you don't, it just is what it is. And it's interesting the way you point that out because I almost feel that it, that it does that dictate how a fan – how a coach, how a player, how an organization should view 
losses like that, where I come out of there Friday, that's it. Fire somebody. I, right. I need to trade half the They yeah. just can't they compete. They let us down again. They, they, they mm-hmm. didn't do it again. Mm-hmm. They're incapable. Or is it is that game different if some of those shots go down? Yeah. No, I mean, I, Booker had 52. He's not going to have 52 every night. Right. So it's interesting, as you were going through those stats, and then you gave me some of those other teams that are around the Pelican standings mm-hmm. that are good, right? We, we made fun of it on Friday that mm-hmm. Tim Hardaway Jr., couldn't miss. Him and Kyrie had 41 in that Martin Luther King Day win against the Pelicans. They go and take on the Lakers. He doesn't hit a single three. Kyrie's one of five from three. He was 0 of seven. They lost that game. Same team, same two guys, different result. So it's interesting you say that to me because then that gives me, I'd say at least pause, right? To be like, okay, that's one game. If we're in a series well, you got to beat me four times, the odds then are different, right? Sure. The odds that he goes for 52, three games, mm-hmm. and you get swept. The odds that you can't hit a three in a game. So it, it, I guess it does sort of even it out because that's that's different, right? I mean, I have yeah. to start looking at it sort of like that. And, you know, another thing that I think is important to remember is, you know, there's times when even I question, like, does it make sense for every team in the league to take this many threes? But over the course of the season, it makes a ton of sense because if you look at, for example, the offensive efficiency of teams, Sacramento had the best offensive efficiency in the history of the NBA last season. And a big part of that is because, you know, this doesn't take a math genius, but threes are worth more than twos. So all of these teams across the NBA are playing offense at a rate that's better than what they did five, ten years ago. And the three-point line is the reason for, for that. So over the course of 82 games it makes a lot more sense to take 43s a game than it take me it makes to take four three-pointers a game which was the way it was maybe 30 years ago but you have to realize that because of the fluctuation from game to game and it's something that you can't you can't count on the three-pointer going in every single night it it just doesn't happen the best team in the league has nights where they shoot 20 25% so mm-hmm. there's going to be some swings between games where you look really good and games where you look really poorly but like you said, a lot of times you have to take a step back and realize that, you know, maybe it wasn't the effort of the team or the fact that they didn't show up. It was just the shots didn't go in. And every coach in the league, if they could if they could figure out, like, why that is, why, you know, on some nights you're making threes, on some nights you aren't, um, you'd be you'd be the richest coach in the league if you knew how to figure that out to get your team to do that. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's just the way shooting works where – from night to night, it varies a ton. And especially as you get further from the basket, um, that's even more the case. You know, if you're playing through the low post, your your guy is more reliable and, you you know, you're five feet from the basket, you're going to make a percentage that's higher. Right. Um, but it's just the way three-point shooting is. And um, we're seeing that with teams across the league that a lot of times you can just, ba- you can just look at the three-point shooting and yeah. say, this team shot 20%, this team shot 45%, and the team that shot 45% is going to win a vast majority of the time. The other aspect of it, too, as well, is it was interesting. Coach and members of the starting five kind of said, we have got to play a little bit better. And specifically in certain areas, I loved it. Coach yesterday after practice was asked, hey, what area do the starting lineup, uh, does the starting lineup need to improve in? And what do you say? He said every area. So, yeah, I mean, to, to that point, it's interesting. The last three losses that the Pelicans have had at Denver, at Dallas, versus Phoenix on Friday, 
They're down double digits after the first quarter. They're down 12 against the Nuggets, 16 against the Mavericks, and then 13 against Phoenix. Um, in both the Denver and Dallas games, they made runs that got the game a lot closer. So it wasn't like just because they lost the first quarter, they lost the game, but it did set the tone. And that's something that uh, Willie Green talked about is, you know, they just need to get off to better starts. And uh, after practice, he was asked by Christian Clark, basically, you know, what, what, what are you looking for from the starting group? And he mentioned that he, it's not, a, he's not at the point where he's saying, saying like, okay, we're going to make starting lineup changes, but it's definitely something where they need to to make improvements, and and it's something that we need to see soon from that group. Every area, <laughs> we're, we're not guarding uh, the first five minutes of the game. They they know it. I've told them. I've talked to them about it. We can score. That unit has shown the ability to score, but we, we have to do a better job defensively. So, you know, it, it's something that we just got to continue to work on. We even have to be open to mixing up some of some of the, the starting lineup, the matchups, and what have you, and and see what we get. But we have enough data on it now to know that it's an issue, and, and we're working on it. Do you feel like this week is like you know you could try some different things or anything like that? At any given time, for sure. At any given time. But right now, we want to give them a chance to correct it. But we're we're at the point where everything's on the table. It was interesting. Good. Uh, I, I, the the answer is um, telling. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's it's kind of like um, it's it's time to see more better results. You know, you can have patience for only a certain amount of time, and when it does start to cost you games on a, a semi-regular basis, I should say too, I don't think it's fair to necessarily say that the starting lineup has been terrible or or bad overall. They've had a lot of games. I think the last I looked, they were fifth or sixth in January in first quarter net rating, so they've kind of offset some of their bad performances or bad starts with other games where they've done really well and they've they've taken a big lead at the beginning of a game. But clearly when you play against some of these teams, um, Dallas and Phoenix in particular are very important in terms of the standings being near the Pelicans that they beat those teams. When you have the starting lineup that you know has a game where you're down double figures in the first quarter and then sometimes also in the beginning of the third quarter you come out and get down by more right. or lose a lead, um, it's something that they're looking at, and uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they do. I mean, hopefully, we can sit here and say that they're going to start having better starts, and that they won't have to change anything. But if if not, then it's something that, as Willie Green said, it's on the table. So it's interesting because it's January twenty second as we record today's podcast here on this Monday, and I go back to media day, and David Griffin was my first guest to open up the show on my talk show, and one of the very last things he said was that everybody in the building, the team, the players, the staff. The mascot, everybody's very aware they got to get it done. It's a lot of talk about potential and getting it done means you got to get into the first round. You got to make a legit, you know, push for a second round team. Get out of that play. And that's why you and I have talked about this all year on the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be, well, you got to go seven and three in the last 10 to be 10th. Like you need to graduate to a different level. I think everybody understands that. But what's always stood out is in October, David Griffin, vice president of basketball operations, said, by the time we get to the All-Star break, if it's not working out, we're going to make it work. We're going to fix it one way, shape, or form. So along the lines of what you're saying, it is interesting to hear head coach Willie Green a couple months later now saying something similar to that of, hey, it's all on the table. We've never heard that before, right? And obviously, because you needed health, you need this, you need that, you're doing that. So I, I think there's talent. And I think everyone says that. Now it's just a matter of 
of, of fixing the right ingredients to making the gumbo. I think like right now, if I gave you that cup of gumbo, you'd enjoy it. Doesn't mean you can't perfect it or can't make it a little bit better, right? Rue a little darker, little substance. Maybe you like it spicier. Maybe mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of what we're seeing with this team. I think that's what Coach is sort of saying, right? What's the right combination? What's the right way to get it? And look, it's what fans want to hear, right? Sure. Coach is saying, hey, we're not playing defense in the first five minutes. So either we do or I'm going to get people that do. And, and that's, what I think, what you want from your head coach. Accountability. Yeah. I love it. I mean, to your point, Gus, I mean, in terms of the urgency that is present right now with the season, I mean, there's 39 games left, but there's only eight games between now and the trade 39 deadline. 39 left, that's it. Yeah. Wow. And there's only eight games left between now and the trade deadline, which is on February 8th. And there's only 12 games between now and the All-Star break. So how did you do that that quick, I just, by the way? I just popped it up on the computer. We didn't plan and, that. No, I just threw some. <laughs> I don't know. My mind is a very strange thing that you don't want to get into. It's, it's very like literally a live segment of the Rain Man scene. You know, <laughs> where like I'm seeing like the numbers. Well, and all well, that. See, well, I, I have, it would be more like Zach Galifianakis in the. Uh, the it's the very hangover. helpful because the way that the uh, schedule co- pops up on the page I looked at, they have the games in pairs. Oh, so if you just look at four rows, you yeah. can see that that's eight see, games. You lost me. Sorry, on. I gave I Terrible gave away my secrets. That. No, it's great but, though. So do that again, so I can actually remember this. Yeah, so thirty nine. Thirty nine games, games left. There's eight games between now and the trade deadline, and then there's twelve games between now and the All Star break. So that's what you're looking at. In terms of is is the time is now to make progress? In, if they're thinking about making changes, whether that's starting lineup or rotations, I think it's very fair for Willie Green to say we're 43 games into the season and we need to make some improvements. And if we don't, then it's time to make some changes because, I mean, the margin of error as far as you mentioned finishing the top six and guaranteeing sure. that you're in the playoffs and you don't have to go through the play-in, I mean, it's it's tight, especially after that loss to Phoenix, that you're now only a half game ahead of Phoenix because they won Sunday against Indiana. So they went from two games behind you to a half game behind you just like that over the weekend. Yeah, they're not losing right now. I think it's a five-game winning streak that they have. But the other thing, to your point, we're breaking down numbers, 39, 8, and 12. I said 8 and 7 at the beginning of January. I, I'd be happy. I would love more. The graph wanted 10, 11 wins. So we're kind of at the midway point almost, right, of the month of January. Mm-hmm. You kind of look at it. And we talked about this as as one of those months at the end of it. I like to say, are you a contender? Or are you still a competitor? And right now, you just mentioned those games that you would have liked to compete the measuring stick, haven't looked good against, right? Clippers, also the Suns. But you brought up maybe three-point shooting, and that night is kind of an issue. But that's still to say. So where are we right now in the month of January? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you said six, six, six and four. And four. Okay. I think it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be um, interesting left, to see. Two, two home and three away. Sorry. Right. To get to eight and seven, that, you know, I'll, I'll say I'm w- I was with Graf too that I, when I heard eight and seven, I was like, that seems a little modest. That seems a little light. I feel like they can easily do that. But if you look at it um, this week, Utah on Tuesday, they just had a six game winning streak, one of the hottest teams in the league. OKC here on Friday. Second, they just beat Minnesota this weekend. Right. Second place in the West. Mm hmm. At Milwaukee on Saturday, they're second place in the East. At Boston on Monday, they're <laughs> right. first in the East and first right. in the league, have the best record in the league. Right. Then closing out January at Houston on January 31st. That has not been an easy match. No. I mean, those to me, those were two both. Both games were two so we need Two out of the five, so for me, as I right. get to the eight. It, yeah, I mean, so it's very difficult on paper that you're playing – you know, three teams that are in the top two of the conference standings on each side of the league. And then Houston, 
that you're 0-2 against and Utah that you're 1-2 against. However, I do think the Pelicans, if you look at it, they have a pretty good track record this season of if they lost or played poorly against an opponent the first and second time, they came back and beat them the third and fourth time. They did that to the Timberwolves, for example. So, And they did that already to Utah. They lost the two games there, but then when they played them in New Orleans, the, the third matchup, they won that game. So I guess we'll hope that that's what happens in, in this stretch coming up. But, yeah, it'll be – if they can get to 9-6 and six in January, I think that'll be really impressive. And I rem- remember, if I'm not mistaken, at the beginning of January, uh, John Schumann of NBA.com said they had the toughest schedule maybe in the league on paper. And so that's definitely the case here as we close out January. All right, Jim, well, let's do our next segment, which I think is going to be real interesting here. You had a chance to sit down with Jordan Hawkins. I saw him last week after the game in which the team knocked down 25 threes. He was part of a group of players that was part of a five-on-five wheelchair game that uh, the the team put on for charity, which was so awesome. Mm. He was so into it coaching-wise and everything. You really got a a chance to kind of see his personality and everything. Super cool, cool, man. Did you enjoy chatting with him? I did. I, I love his attitude. I feel like he's got the, you know, people say he's a, he's a hooper. I mean, he just loves to play basketball, yeah. which is one of the things that he talked about in this interview. But I love the way that he approaches everything and the fact that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of guys that if they were sent to the G League, even if it was just for a game, they might have, you know, been upset about it and caused issues and complained and stuff like that. But, I mean, he just has, I think, a lot of the intangibles that, the front office has been looking for in all of the guys that they've been drafting over the last few years. And they've done a really good job with that. As far as we know from being around them, just the the quality of the guys that are on this roster. So yeah, it was, it was fun talking to him just kind of about some of the more background stuff as far as his um, adjustment to the NBA. There's a lot of things that are thrown at rookies and I think he's done a really good job. One of them is that um, he doesn't, he hasn't, always get played a ton of minutes, which is not the case for a lot of the guys that are picked in the lottery, but right. he's, he's done really well. And even in situations where he's had DMPs or he's hasn't played a lot for a little while, he comes in and he scores 34 points and is one of the biggest reasons that they picked up one of the best wins of the season, which we talked about on Friday's show in terms of that Dallas game was just a, a great victory to be able to get. All right. Well, here's the conversation with Jordan Hawkins and Mr. Jim Eichenhofer. Here with Jordan Hawkins. Uh, welcome to your first appearance on the Pelicans podcast. How are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm good. Hey, thanks for having me. wanted to talk to you just kind of about some of the adjustments that a rookie has to make to the NBA. Um, I feel like a lot of guys say that travel is one of the, you're good, one of the biggest uh, things that is a, a change from college. Um, yeah. What's it? What's the adjustment been like as far as, you know, just the, the amount of travel that you guys do? The you know the three a.m. arrivals that you know yeah. it just seems like that's so much different than what you're used to in college. Um, it's definitely different from college. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very different from college. You're playing. This is our forty second game, forty third mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Of the season, college we played to the max. It was like what 35, 40 games, maybe. Yeah, yeah. forty games. So yeah. It's getting used to that the long, long season with the travel. It's definitely something getting used to. Um, yeah, that's probably like the biggest thing I've had to adjust to is to travel and the amount of games we've, we've played. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, um, you know, people talked a lot about that uh, back-to-back that you guys had recently that was very difficult where you yeah. went from Denver to Dallas. But um, you had your career high, actually, in that game where you got into the hotel at, you know, 4.35 a.m. So um, 
maybe maybe that wasn't a bad yeah. thing for me. Maybe, maybe you are you're okay with a five a.m. arrival. Yeah, I mean, I'm a basketball player, so I mean, yeah. It's, Whenever there's time to play basketball, you just play. Um, no, no matter the circumstance. Um, but, yeah, that was pretty crazy. Um, probably went to sleep around, like, 7 o'clock yeah. that day. So, yep. it, it, was a, it was a crazy travel schedule. Um, but, I mean, I, that's the NBA. So. Do you remember what time you woke up that day after you went to sleep at 7? Like, 1. Yeah. Probably get the bus at, like, 3. You're right. 3.30, 3.35. So. You know, another big difference between the NBA schedule and the college schedule is the number of games per week that you play. Yeah. Usually in college, you play, like, one game on the weekend and one game during the week. But yeah. in the NBA, sometimes you have, you know, four or five yeah. games. You know, the plus of that, though, is, you know, it's it's kind of fewer practice days in the NBA. You're just playing more games. You don't have yeah. the ability to practice as much, whereas I think – in college, you probably have a lot of weeks where you're getting in a bunch of practices. Yeah. I mean, do you do you like it kind of this way, where you you know you're just getting to play so many more games? Um, it's it's I do like you get to play basketball more, you get to show off your your um, your skill more. I just think the best way to get better is playing, like really playing basketball. So, but in college, we did have a lot, a lot of long practices. Um, practices was crazier, way crazier in college, three four hour practices. But now it's uh, limited practices because uh, just play so many games. And um, I do enjoy playing a game, a lot games a lot more. And college is like a lot of an- anticipation up in the week because uh, you're only playing like two or three games a week. Sure. So um, I like the, I like the uh, three, four game uh, lifestyle more than I like the two game a week lifestyle. It reminds me more back when I was in high school playing AAU and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So that's what, I, that's what I try to think about it as. Sure. You know, another thing for rookies, I feel like a lot of guys that come in have talked about this in the past. Um, in terms of free time, that's also a big difference between college and the NBA where, you know, I feel like in college things are much more structured, whereas in the NBA you kind of have the ability to make your own schedule. Yeah. Um, this is going back more than probably 10 years. We had a guy here, who, a player here who, as a rookie, um, kind of half seriously, half jokingly said he was thinking about getting a part-time job because he was yeah. so not used to just how much free time. He, he has. Um, how have you adjusted to that? Is it the kind of thing where you figured out, like, okay, this is how I, I want to yeah. spend my free time? Well, with me, like, I just, I'm just trying to find things I enjoy outside of basketball. You know, in college, everything's just so structured, you're right. Um, when you got class a certain time, then after practice, you got study hall. And after study hall, you're all tired and you just want to go home. But, um, but our, we probably get in, I'll probably get in here. Maybe like nine thirty, leave it here out of here like one thirty two, um, so that's that's my that's my day. So I was just trying, still trying to figure out. Um, that's why that's another thing I should say, trying to overcome as a rookie, trying to figure out things I like outside of basketball. Because I mean, basketball has just consumed so much of my life. Um, so just trying to figure out things to uh, to that that catch my interest is mm-hmm. um, something I'm I'm definitely still working on and for this free time that I have. We asked um, a lot of the players on media day or during training camp early in the season, who's the guy on the team that is the most active on road trips in terms of likes to explore the city. I don't think we asked you because obviously you hadn't yeah. traveled yet. So um, it was this was among the veteran guys. And um, a lot of people said Jose Alvarado and Jonas are the guys that they like that like to go out and do stuff in the cities and see different places. And they on the other end of the spectrum, they said Herb was the guy that likes to stay in his hotel room and just chill. Um, how? Where are you on that spectrum between? Happy with Herb. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'd be yeah. worried, man. Yeah. I don't leave the hotel room. Me and him just play Madden. Mm-hmm. Or he's playing Madden or just watching it, watching basketball. Yeah, I don't really like going outside outside my hotel room uh, unless there's, like, a reason to, like, to see somebody or see family. Sure. Um, but, no, nah, I don't really leave my hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that would be something as you get, you know, deeper into your career, yeah. you get more comfortable, you get more familiar with the cities. Um, in terms of just playing in all these different places, I know probably about roughly half of the arenas you haven't been in yet, yeah. but um, what's that experience been like as far as just getting to be able to play in some of these places that are so well-known and kind of storied? Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty cool um, just playing in in Crypto, um, Crypto, Oracle, where is not Oracle anymore? Chase like, Center. Chase yeah, Center. San Fran. Yep. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it's been it's been really fun. Um, I, I got the chance to play against some of the best players in the world, doing what I love. Um, so it's it's been amazing. I got to I'm I'm here playing on the highest stage, um, playing for thousands and thousands of people against uh, some of the best best basketball players in the world. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, can't wait till we go on the East Coast trip because some of the arenas I played in before was a that's a little Big East country a little mm-hmm. bit. So or that Boston Milwaukee season. Uh, road trip coming up uh, i played in some of those arenas so it, it, it was a lot it's, it's going to be fun so yeah i feel like the schedule's been very west heavy i know part yeah. of that is the in-season tournament um kind of changed the way that they set things up but I, I would imagine you're looking forward to are, are you looking forward to kind of having packs of yukon fans in yeah. boston new yeah. york you haven't been in philly yeah haven't been in brooklyn i mean there's a bunch of places yeah. i guess you haven't been yet yeah yeah one thing about yukon fans they do they do they do travel um so i'm i'm excited to get down there go to boston milwaukee my guy uh, andre jackson's over there um one of my teammates uh, so playing against him that'd be really cool in the nba just remember times we, he was just talking about this in our dorm room that like felt like last week so um playing against uh, those teams, it's, it's going to be really cool, and just uh, to get the little the England vibe back is going is going it's going to feel good. So, yeah, you know, speaking of UConn, um, I'm sure everyone that covers the Pelicans can say this, but um, I've gotten tons of tweets from people talking about you and um, just being excited about the the way that you've played and the way yeah. that your rookie season has gone so far. What's uh, generally been the reaction from? the huge UConn fan base yeah. as far as the way that you've played and just the, your start to the NBA career? I mean, I hope it's been good. I've been mean, trying my best out there, uh, trying, trying to make a good name on UConn, men's basketball, of course, but um, it's a it's a real genuine love between us and the UConn fans. It's like real genuine over there. Um, they, they they take basketball serious over there just as serious as the players take it. So they pack the crowd every time we go to uh, – there's a home game, but in the whole tournament – um, they 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 were there. Um, so it's it's a I love I love UConn fans. I love Connecticut. I love that little area. Um, it's like my second home. So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know how much you pay attention to social media, like the yeah text or tweets that you get or messages you get. But have you have you seen that uh, uh, just a huge jump in people from UConn just excited yeah. about the way that you've played so far? Uh, I I really don't be on Twitter and stuff like that. Yeah. But my mom my mom's on it a lot. Um, so. She does send me some things, some funny things people say, or some UConn fans say, and I, I get a giggle out of it a couple of times. So sure, yeah, yeah. If if you could just tell them that I don't have any role in playing time or substitutions yeah. or rotations, yeah. that would be great. But, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people that are always you know commenting about you, and yeah. I, I can tell just how much support and yeah. love that you have from that fan base. Yeah. So, um, last couple of things, um, you know, 
a lot of the guys that get picked in the draft lottery in the top 14, the way that you were, go to teams that are just rebuilding or kind yeah. of struggling going through. You know, for example, the, the top three picks going into this weekend, their teams were 26 and 92 combined record-wise. That's obviously not the case for you. You're on a team that is very good, competitive, top five in the West right now. Um, how, how, how do you think that will help you in your career? I mean, just coming to a winning team and coming to a team that has a bunch of veteran guys that like CJ, you know, Larry and, and Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah, I always said this, even when I was at the draft table, I was in a spot where um, I'm a, I'm a, I, come, I come from a winning program, so I just have that winning mindset of just win, win, win all the time. So I, I, I just worry about at the, dra- at the draft table, I was worrying about the, the spot and the fit that I was best at and that, that a team that wants to win and that has the attitude of winning and I mean, I just came to a perfect spot. Um, we have a great coaching staff, great, great vets on the team that I mean that calls us out on when we need to be called out. Um, it's just, it's just something. It's just something like like um, we get, we as a group we we hold each other as a high standard, and uh, it reminds me of college a little bit of how our coaches hold us to a high standard, and as as players, we held each other as a to a high standard. So. I, I think I came into a perfect situation. I couldn't be in any more perfect situation. So I, I'm definitely uh, blessed and lucky to be in this situation for sure. You, men- you mentioned, uh, you know, the high standard. I mean, one of the things, too, that's different for you is that you came to a situation where you had to earn everything. You yeah. had to earn all of your playing time. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of guys, I, the vast majority of the guys that were picked you know, in the top 10 or whatever yeah. are in situations where they're immediately starters, yeah. immediately playing a ton. I mean, do you think that's something, too, that is going to benefit you in your career? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I definitely, um, definitely for sure, uh, just knowing how, how hard it is to fight for a spot on the NBA team, um, I, I know what the grind is, and I've, I've been through it. I mean, I've been through playing in 40 minutes in the game, and I know what it feels like to not even – break a sweat in the game so um i i have the strong mindset and it, i think it will definitely help me uh throughout my career uh what i'm going through now so yeah. last thing i know a lot of people would be very upset with me if i didn't mention your cousin angel yeah. reese have you had a chance to um go to baton rouge yet or ha- had an opportunity to 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 go up there and uh, check out some lsu i went up there before this season started i went up there for a football game seeing her she had a little uh, giveaway for t- teachers. Um, they gave away. She gave away school supplies and stuff. Cool. I haven't really seen her since then. Um, it's probably gonna come to a game soon. Our catch game when we have an off day, but you know we're both in season now. It's really we're really busy. So I know she's doing her thing up there. But uh, I, I I gotta catch a game for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the schedules are yeah very busy. You guys yeah. are on the road half the time and they're yeah. on the road half the time. So. Yeah. But yeah, we're we're looking forward to having her at a yeah. game sometime soon. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks to Jordan for sitting down with Jim there. Or as I like to say, he accosted him, locked the door, and made sure that he couldn't go anywhere until he chatted with you. <laughs> Is that how it went That's down? exactly what it I was. Figured Amazing. That's how it went down. Amazing. Um, all right. Let's get into it. Tomorrow night, the Utah Jazz. You mentioned this is a team that's been playing pretty good basketball. They're currently in the 10th spot, 22 and 22 uh, going into tonight. And they're nine games back overall. They've lost two straight, but they're seven and three in their last ten. But forget all that. This is one of those Jim where I don't even look at the numbers. I don't look at the records because it's just one of those matchups for some reason. I, I can hear it right now. Listen, graph is pacing. 
<laughs> he's pacing right now. He knows it. He knows mm-hmm. what's coming. It's one of those things. I know when we walk in the studio tomorrow before the game, he's go- He's already chugged the thing of Pepto already. This is just one of those teams. It doesn't matter. Game one, 10, 45, 52 of the season. Why, why do they struggle so much against the Jazz? What is it? Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you that. I mean, you definitely have to give – graph his space and I'm a little concerned about yeah. him more than usual this time because he's had if you think about it they haven't played Pelicans haven't played since Friday so he's had three or four days to stew on it. yes to get Stewing to think about it. oh my gosh oh, yeah. Laurie Markinen oh my no, god forget that no, John he, Collins he, no he has gone through the list of stats and he will find one player that has like a point average on the season hasn't hit a three mm-hmm. he will be the Pelican killer tomorrow <laughs> you watch yeah yeah, you think so, I'm joking? No, I no, I'm I totally I would believe anything when it comes to his uh, level. But of it is anxiety. one of those things about this team, right? When you look at Utah, uh, the, I close my eyes right now. They got height, right? They got three point shooting, and someone forgot to tell them they're supposed to be tanking here, right? right. So I mean, so in mm-hmm. other words, that kind of tells me this is a team that that shows up to play every night. And it's the second year in a row that that's happened. That people have gone into the season saying, you know, best case they might be a thirty win team, but here we are. Like you said, they would be in the play in tournament right now, and they're going to potentially cause some problems as far as just getting into the play-in tournament for some of the other teams around them, like the Lakers and the Golden State, which is pretty shocking. But, yeah, I think it's one of those things where they just have enough veteran guys that are really good players, that are proven guys, that when they get close to health, you know, that was the problem I think they had for part of the season. They had guys that were sidelined. But, you know, Jordan Clarkson comes back, and we've seen him be one of the best six men of the, in the NBA. He won six man of the year a couple of years ago. They have a bunch of other veteran guys. Laurie Markinen that I mentioned earlier has just emerged in the last couple of years as one of the best players in the league after he was kind of labeled as a disappointment a guy that was picked in the lottery mm-hmm. that really didn't live up to those expectations. So they have a bunch of guys that you have to be concerned about. And they actually were able to, in the two games in Salt Lake city too, they were able to play really good defense against the Pelicans and hold them down points wise um pelicans only scored 105 in the first uh game to or excuse me they they scored 112 in the first one which isn't bad but then the second or the first game they had 100 so i mean for whatever reason the pelicans aren't have not been able to generate the offense they did better in the smoothie king center in the matchup against them so but you know in terms of players to watch for the pelicans one of the reasons that my player to watch this week is Larry Nance Jr. is because of some of these matchups. Um, defensively, I feel like this is this is a week where you could say defensive front court is a big concern or a big thing that the, you're going to have to monitor for New Orleans. Okay. John Collins and Markinen play for Utah. Those are two guys that Larry Nance is probably going to be matched up against that he's going to try to contain. OKC has Chet Holmgren on Friday. And then Milwaukee, obviously. Giannis. So... That's why I picked Larry Nance. I think his his role is going to be really important. And I mean, he's been playing well. He's been doing a lot of stuff in a positive way, including you know his three point shooting from the corners has been really good. So, Larry Nance Jr. Player to watch. Last week's player to watch was Brandon Ingram. Um, he had kind of an inconsistent week, but in between the games that he didn't shoot well, mm-hmm. he had his third triple double, career triple double against Charlotte with twenty eight, ten, and ten, and he also tied his career high with. Seven three-pointers, so the day that I picked him as the player to watch, he ended up having a, <laughs> one of his best games of the okay. season, if not his career, so I guess I will take that. 
All right. Interesting enough. We'll see what takes place, obviously, as uh, the games go on here. So once again, not that we're putting any um, emphasis on any of these, but it is crazy. You think about it, it's a long season. Jim just gave you the numbers. 39 games left, eight games until the trade deadline. And that may not even necessarily mean me by us. I'm just, you know, how many other teams has LeBron won by then? Although he did say that he doesn't do that, by the way, doesn't. <laughs> GM LeBron. But no, it yeah. is interesting because maybe we can talk about that as we get closer to it, Jim. Or maybe at some point this week with some of our guests, not necessarily New Orleans here, but what teams could you see making moves to try to improve their spots here? Because for the most part, as we get closer to February, it kind of know who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Like we just talked, touched on it in the first segment. Willie Green, what he needs from the starters, what he wants specifically from them. You brought up the three points. Like we kind of know what this Pelicans team this year is so when I look up and down the standings, I, I'm interested because I don't expect a trade deadline like the last two years, Jim, where teams other than the Lakers basically got all kind of you know big splashy moves of things. And the only reason I say that is because you look at the top two, three seeds in the West, Minnesota and OKC. Now it's going to be my team that I'm going to be looking at. That's a big win by OKC on them. But so what? What are they going to change? You know, what mm-hmm. I mean, they, they kind of yeah. already know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnesota, I mean, they're, they've been in first place for a bit. I think Denver is Denver. When you look at Dallas, they may add a piece or two. You're starting to see some things on there. Uh, some some of those reports, but you know, Phoenix is probably just we need more time together. You know, I yeah. mean, when I'm looking at Phoenix, they kind of seemed pretty tough to beat as it was. So when I'm looking up and down the standings, it is interesting. I don't expect a ton, or do you? Do you expect a lot of activity? No, I don't. I don't expect a ton. It's interesting because I think, and this is probably more in the East. There's already been a couple trades that have happened well before the trade deadline. Agreed. Yeah, have, you're right. Some of those teams that have been involved in that maybe may or may not be done moving pieces. Yeah. Um, I think Toronto's GM actually did say, President said, came out and said, "Yeah, we're still going to make some trades." But yeah. as far as the West goes, I think you might be right. I'm curious to to see too impact of the new collective bargaining agreement if that makes it teams more reluctant to make moves because you're definitely more restricted in terms of what kind of salaries you can add no doubt you can't add the huge pieces if you already have two guys that are making a huge amount of money it's very teams are very reluctant to say yeah we can add a third guy i mean look what's happened with phoenix they're i'm not commenting on them overall but just from a roster building standpoint they really can't make any more moves because they have three guys that are making Huge money. So yeah. they've built the rest of that team largely on minimum salary guys. And we'll see if that pays off for them or not. We'll, I mean, I, th- I feel like the results of their season, I think, will be instructive for mm-hmm. other teams as far as, you know, if they win the championship, say, other teams are going to be like, hey, you can do that. You can get three big money guys and fill out the rest of the roster with minimum salaries. But if their depth hurts them and their depth depth is costly, I think teams will be hesitant and say, like, oh, we can't do that because – you know, you have to have maybe more now than 10 years ago, you have to have a really good seventh man, eighth man, ninth man. You can't just get by with guys that are just kind of like, ah, well, we just found this guy off on a minimum contract and we're going to just do the best we can with that. By no means am I trying to bring this into reality, but I'm very curious as I sit here on the 22nd, 18 and 22, three and seven in their last 10 games, two games out of the last play-in spot i just talked about the golden state warriors yeah i wonder what they're going to do you know is it white flat is it is it hey we're done and one of their big pieces gets moved Mm -hmm. 
Or do they try to make one last run and try to acquire a piece? Because that's a very interesting team to me. Because, what I mean, you're you're not in the play-in right now. <laughs> you yeah. know? So, or, yeah. or you're looking at it as, hey, let's get in the play-in, and then you got to beat us four times with the talent that we have. And so like, that's kind of what the Lakers have done the last couple of years, right? They're like, mm-hmm. hey, get in, and they went all the way to the Western Conference Finals, you know, with the new incarnation. So it's interesting how you look at certain teams. And that's something, again, we're going to be kind of looking at as we go forward because, I mean, that's a team that's won finals. So those guys, they just got to get in. You know, mm-hmm. and so you wonder how you look at that. What is it they need and all those different aspects of it. But that's a team that I never thought I'd, I'd sit here. I'm like, man, three and seven in the last 10. That's not playing good basketball. So no. they're not even in the postseason right now. Now, right. I know we got time, but you don't have a ton of time. Like for them, they're looking at 10 to seven. Right. And that's why I was saying it was so important for this month of January to me. If you can just stay 500 with all these tough teams that you got, because now now we're dwindling even more of the games. And it's just going to be harder and harder for teams to try to catch you and pass you. And that's what I told you. My goal as we get to the All-Star break and out of the All-Star break, you're six battling for four. Like, that's what I want this Pels team to do. And I know there's a game or two that you might see them in seventh or eight. But I can't tell you the last time I saw the Pelicans, like, in tenth or in ninth. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You haven't yeah. seen that very often this year is my point. Yeah, no, it's, it is it is nice, I have to admit, that when you look at the standings and see that they're fifth, I mean, that's pretty lofty compared to where they've been over the last couple of years. But as Midway you, point of the season, you're fifth. Right, but as you also said, there's not a huge gap. I mean, they're they're one game ahead of eighth. Sacramento's yeah. in eighth right now, 23 and 18. The Pelicans you got are- four and a half from, from ninth. You know, that's what I'm saying, mm-hmm. right? What, what was that right. number we kept saying? If you're five, five, it, it's hard to make up five games. Sure. It is, right? Mm-hmm. In like a week or two time, like you can't. Right. I mean, obviously the Pels would have to lose five and the Lakers have to win five, right? So you can, but you understand what I'm saying. Like I haven't seen anything on this team so far this season, barring an injury or even without some of their key players. Like I don't see the Pels losing 10 straight. I don't see them losing seven of 10, you know? And you mm-hmm. brought it up even earlier in this podcast. They've been a team that's responded after a tough loss or something of that nature, which is why I look at the final five. I'm like, you're either going to go two or three or three and two. Like, I don't see a one and four. I'm not saying it can't happen, mm-hmm. Jim, but I think this team is, is more talented and can sustain that. And that's my point. If you can show me you can at least be a 500 basketball team from here on out, you should be where I think I would want you to be. You're competing now to host first round but you're in that first round you're not in that play you know you're not at the very least in that dreaded i gotta go seven and three to be the 10th seed mm-hmm. and then you gotta win two games to get in the first round i want to put that so far in a rearview mirror right percent yeah 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 i mean we you know we talked about their upcoming stretch as far as between now and the end of january and then they have some important games at the beginning of february as well before the all-star break and before the trade deadline but well, I'm sure we'll get into this more down the road, but they have a stretch in February slash March, March where they play a ton of Eastern Conference teams. They're eight and two against the East so far, so mm. I'll be curious to see if they can keep that up. Obviously, some of the teams in the East that they're playing are that elite level in terms of Boston and Milwaukee, um, but they also have some other teams that are in the middle part of the Eastern Conference and even the lower echelon as well. So. Um, but yeah, I think that's the goal right now. It should be to try to gain more secure footing as far as being in the top six. And right now they're, they are in the top six, but it's not by a lot.
Jim Eikenhofer of NewOrleansPelicans.com. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, Gus. Yeah, thank you all for listening here as well. When we come back, it will be Wednesday. And we'll see what takes place here. So we got a couple of games this week, Tuesday and Friday here at home. They get back on the road at back-to-back against Milwaukee on Saturday. And as Jim mentioned, you wrap up the month, hard to believe, uh, at Houston. So we'll see what takes place. As always, appreciate it. Give us a follow. That way you'll know when a new podcast drops. And it'll pop right up on your phone, your screen, or whatever. And you'll know that you can give a listen. Until then, we'll see you on Wednesday on the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. Join us three times per week on Pelicans.com, the Pelicans mobile app, the iHeartRadio app, or where you get your podcast. And be sure to give Jim and Gus a follow on X at Jim underscore Eichenhofer and GCAT underscore 17. We'll see you next time right here on the New Orleans Pelicans podcast.